The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cause of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Stephen, the pastor of Community Life. It's an honor and a pleasure and a privilege to open God's word with you today. Three weeks ago, Rebecca and I, we went to visit my younger brother in New York City. We got to see some fireworks. We also uh, chose to go to a Yankee game. This is your cue to say, boo. That's right. So before we went to the city that never sleeps, we went to Washington, D.C. for a few nights. We visited Josh and Gia and the boys and Mia. And we also got to visit the Museum of the Bible. A whole day of just checking out the Bible. We experienced six floors of the Word of God. And the second floor of this museum was solely dedicated to the impact the Bible has had in America and around the world. And what stuck out to me was the preserved original copies of Bibles in various languages, and most notably Greek and Hebrew and Latin. I took a picture of a King James Bible from the, the 1600s. There we go. Open to Ezekiel. Got convicted right there on the spot. <laughs> this got me thinking about those who traveled across the oceans with their Bibles. Maybe some of them, the Bible was all they had. Some of those who traveled across the ocean might have had to leave their home country because of their belief in the God of the Bible. They might have been looking for a new start, not knowing what tomorrow had in store for them, not knowing what storms and trials they would face. And all they knew was to trust that God's word would sustain them. The Lord was their portion. The word of God was all they had. And I was reminded of how I left Minnesota to travel across the country in 2001. And my mom had given me a brand new NIV Bible to take with me. Here it is. 22 years old, the pages of Revelation coming out. <laughs> Maybe the Museum of the Bible could add this to their collection. <laughs> this morning, let's consider how the Word of God is sufficient for all that we will ever need. For all that we will ever need. Please pray with me. Almighty Heavenly Father, be gracious 
to us. Be gracious to me according to your word. Help me, Lord, to feed your people, to guide your people, that they would hear and come to know you and love you above all things because your steadfast love endures forever. We need you this morning. We need your help. We ask for your mercy to reign upon us. In the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Are you ready to receive this morning's message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true? The big idea of this morning's passage, God's steadfast love is sufficient for all of our needs. God's steadfast love is sufficient for all our needs. And as a reminder, Psalm 119 is a tightly organized acrostic. There are 22 sections or stanzas consisting of eight lines per stanza, each line beginning with the same letter following the order of the Hebrew alphabet. This is a masterfully constructed psalm. So meditating on it line by line is the best way to read and feed on the Word of God. We are in the eighth stanza of Psalm 119. Please turn there if you haven't yet. Psalm 119. First, travel back with me to the beginning of Psalm 119, the very beginning. Notice in these first eight stanzas or sections how there is a personal relationship between God and the psalmist. This is a personal prayer from a man who knows and loves God. And he is keenly aware that God knows and loves him. From the beginning of Psalm 119, we notice the Lord and the second person pronouns that refer to him. You and your. And then the first person pronouns. I, my, me. They point to the psalmist. My ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. I will praise you. I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. You see the interplay between God and the psalmist throughout the entirety of Psalm 119. He cannot live without God. He cannot breathe without God. He cannot sleep without God. He cannot walk without God. He cannot find delight without God. He speaks openly and honestly with his Lord. God knows him. And you're going to see in this eighth stanza of Psalm 119 how he has continued 
to pour his self out to God. He has beautifully laid this section out. I can see him pondering and meditating on God's word as he encounters this eighth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, Heth, or Cheth. Pronounce the letter with me, Cheth, Cheth. Clear your throat. He might be thinking to himself, what words begin with heth can I use to describe my relationship with God? He begins this eight verse stanza with chelek, meaning share or portion, and ends the stanza with chesed, meaning steadfast love, faithfulness, or loving kindness. Divine choices indeed. He has framed it with halak and hesed. And just as he had previously done with other stanzas, he fills in this portion of the psalm with words that capture the essence, the fullness of God's word, such as your word, your promise, your testimonies, your commandments, your law, your rule, your precepts, and your statutes, all different aspects of God's word, like a diamond, God's word turning, seeing all that comes out of it. And please listen closely to how I have structured this passage. In verses 57 and 58, God is sufficient for our needs when we keep his commandments. In verses 59 and 60, God's, God is sufficient for our needs when we flee from sin and run to him. In verses 61 and 62, God's steadfast love is available in our affliction. And finally, in verses 63 and 64, God's steadfast love is available to all who fear him. The sufficiency of God's word. God is sufficient for our needs when we keep his commandments. God is sufficient for our needs when we keep his commandments. Verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. The Lord is my portion or my portion, Yahweh. My portion, the Lord. The word here for portion can also mean share. My share. The Lord is my share. And you'll recall how the tribe of Levi, the Lord was their portion. They didn't receive a promised allotment of land as the other tribes of Israel did. The Levites were called to show that all was needed for the nation of Israel as a whole was that the Lord was all sufficient, that the Lord was their portion. And you've already heard me say the word sufficient a few times already. Sufficient means enough. God is enough or adequate. All that is needed. All that is needed. The psalmist is declaring that God is all that he needs. I need you, O Lord. And King David in Psalm 23 declared, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, 
I need you. You, God, are my portion. God is all we need. God alone is sufficient. God alone is trustworthy, the psalmist is saying, is crying out. The praise of others isn't our portion. The money in our bank accounts isn't our portion. The property or possessions we own is not our portion. They are not sufficient. They are not enough to satisfy our longing for purpose and fulfillment. Only God can fulfill our needs. Only God can give us purpose in this life. Can you say right now that the Lord is your portion? Maybe you're thinking, I can't say the Lord is my portion. You may think I have no purpose. No one cares about me. No one likes me. Nothing goes my way. This is the very moment that you cry out, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my salvation. God is all that I have. He is all that I need. I can't live this life on my own. God alone is my God and my salvation. When you are tempted by all that the world has to offer, cry out, the Lord is my portion. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus replied, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. King David in Psalm 16, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The psalmist had chosen what is necessary. Who gives him life and purpose? And this portion will not be taken away from him. And we are familiar with the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Try to have all my college students read Luke 10, 38 through 42. Mary is at the Lord's feet, listening to the teaching of Jesus. Martha is distracted with much serving. Martha wants help. She complains to Jesus that her sister isn't helping her. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. May that continue to be our cry when we are needy. The Lord is my portion. After declaring that God is sufficient enough for his needs, the psalmist says in his heart, I promise to keep your words. I promise to keep your words. Like David, he is a man after God's own heart. And to prove that indeed the Lord is his portion, he promises to keep God's words, to do what the Lord has spoken. It's not just that we say the Lord is my portion, but also that we keep 
God's words. He is committing himself to God. He pledges obedience to God. He says, the Lord is my portion. He alone is the God who can save me. Verse 58, I entreat your favor with all my heart. Favor here in Hebrew can mean at the face of or front of. I entreat your face. He is describing what prayer looks like. He longs to be in the presence of God Almighty. Imagine the psalmist reaching out his face, reaching out his hands to reach to the face of God. Appealing to God. Right now, maybe you're feeling like you need to do exactly that this morning. To entreat his favor. Go ahead, right now. No one's looking. No one's going to judge you. You're in church. I entreat your face. Listen to my prayers, O oh God. He is searching. He is reaching out to God with his whole heart. He is not lifting up a half prayer, not just going through the motions. He gets personal with God, wants to reach out and behold his face, a humble heart with his whole heart saying, be gracious to me according to your promise. He can only keep God's word because of God's grace. He can't do it by his own power. He's not able to just pull up his bootstraps and say, I got this. I don't need God. No, he needs God to help him be obedient. He appeals to the Lord's gracious and loving kindness according to God's promise, to God's word. God answers our prayers according to his promise, his word. Your will be done. Did you notice how he speaks God's words back to him? He knows who God is. This dude is well acquainted with God's law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, God's word. In Exodus 34, verse 6, we read, The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness and faithfulness. The Lord is the gracious and merciful God. The psalmist knows this by heart and says, be gracious to me. And commenting on verse 58, Charles Spurgeon wrote, the confidence of faith makes us bold in prayer, but it never teaches us to live without prayer or justifies us in being other than a humble beggar at mercy's 
gate. Let's cry out, have mercy on us, Lord. Be gracious to us. A broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. With all of his heart, he reaches out to the face of God for God to quiet him with his steadfast love. And God's steadfast love reassures him that God's word is sufficient to answer his prayer. This helps him remember that when he wanders off the path of righteousness, his only hope is to get back on track and run to God. God is sufficient for our needs when we flee from sin and run to him. God is sufficient for our needs when we flee from sin and run to him. Verse 59, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. You see him considering his way. He's considering his lifestyle. He's considering his conduct. How am I doing? How am I worshiping the Lord? How am I doing in my life with others? He does some self-examination. He reflects on whether or not he is walking in a path of righteousness. And we sang Psalm 1 earlier. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is fully aware that the Lord is the only one who can deliver him from his sins. And you remember the prodigal son. I call the worship text, who lived a reckless life, a sinful life, and was far away from home. And then he came to himself. He considered his ways. He thought about his ways. He remembered the goodness and steadfast love of the Father, and he arose and turned and ran to the Father. The prodigal son fled from sin and ran to him. Have you considered if you are on the right path this morning? Are you currently on a path of unrighteousness? Are you in sin? Are you drifting away from God? Are you far away from God? The psalmist says, when I think, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies he turns his feet he corrects his for his course he turns he runs let's take a moment today to check ourselves where are we at where do we stand with god think about it right now paul has reminded us to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith where are we with God? Are you drifting away from God and don't realize how far you've wandered away from his commands? If we are drifting, let's turn our feet to God's testimonies right now. Verse 60, but I'll wait until tomorrow to confess my sin to make things right. No, no, no. That's not what the psalmist says. That's what the Steve Anderson version says. No, he says, I hasten 
and do not delay to keep your commandments. He doesn't linger. He does not wait until tomorrow. He flees from sin and runs to him, to the Lord, and he does so in a hurry. Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife. And you'll recall in Genesis 19 that Lot lived in the wicked city of Sodom. Lot's family was instructed to run for the hills. They were told, escape to the hills quickly. Why? Because God was going to rain down fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And what happened to Lot's wife when she lingered? She fell behind, she looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. What happens when someone turns into a pillar of salt? Gone. Martin Luther writes, I know from my own praying, scripture reading, and partaking of the Lord's Supper that the longer I hesitate, the more I feel reluctant and less fit. Putting things off until tomorrow is a secret but very dangerous sin. The Holy Spirit does not give his gifts to procrastinators, but to those who are fast, ready, and eager. Procrastination is putting off what you could have done today until tomorrow. And my wife, Rebecca, does not like that I have a degree in procrastination. (laughs) This degree has not served me well. You can just ask Rebecca. But I've learned by the grace of God not to wait until the last minute to get things done or to confess sin. And if you are trying to figure out if you're a procrastinator, there is a TED Talk Inside the mind of a master procrastinator, you'll get a little giggle. It'll encourage you not to procrastinate. Do not delay. Do not procrastinate. Do not linger. Right now is the time to run to God. As soon as he considered his ways, he immediately turned to God. He is always refreshing the memory of his mind to see if he has turned in a direction that leads away from God. He then declares that he will not delay to keep God's commandments. He delights in God's commands because he loves them. A couple of weeks ago, we were in verses 47 and 48 of Psalm 119. And the psalmist says, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Next, he moves to remember and meditate on the steadfast love of God. God's steadfast love is available in all our affliction. Verse 61. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. And I like how the New English translation puts it. The ropes of the wicked tighten around me. They surround me. An earlier passage in Psalm 119, 
He is experiencing affliction from the wicked. He is surrounded by people who do not care about, who do not know God. He can't move. Enemies of God are taunting him. Maybe the wicked have unjustly taken away all that he owns, unjustly killed his family. Maybe the wicked are tempting him with the things of this world, tempting him to participate in gossip, to desire the possessions of others, to follow other gods, to listen to false teachers, to be sexually immoral. And even though he is surrounded by the wicked in their attempts, to get him to wander away from the narrow path, he does not forget God's instruction. He has not forgotten the instructions that God has given to his people. In the midst of his affliction, he remembers the words of God and he remembers God's steadfast love. It is the word of God that carries him through his afflictions. Because of God's steadfast love, he is committed to following the Lord. Do you feel surrounded right now? Do you feel tightened? Like there's no way out. Maybe you are being mocked because of your faith in Jesus. Maybe others are tempting you to sin. I've been in situations where people mock me because of my love for God's word, because of my love for Jesus. When I'm trying to follow God's commandments, trying to do what is right, I've had people bring up my past. You used to be like this. You were like that. You did this. They try to discredit my witness. Jesus said that you will have trouble in this world. Because you love and follow him. You will suffer injustice. But when the wicked surround us and revile us, we remember God's word. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And we know that Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What affliction are you dealing with today? And as we encounter affliction from others and experience the daily stressors and pressures of life, let's not forget God's instruction. Let's persevere like the psalmist and be determined to stay steadfast under opposition. He did not cave into the pressure of the wicked. Instead, even into the late hours of the night, he maintained an attitude of gratitude. Verse 62, at midnight, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. At midnight, he rises to praise God to thank God. He keeps his mind on things above through the late hours of the night. When was the last time that we got up in the middle of the night to praise God? If we are awake during the night, 
Is it because our minds are fixed on Christ? Or are we not able to sleep because we're worried about what tomorrow may bring? Do we toss and turn at night because our minds are filled with what happened during the day? Unfruitful conversations with others, relationship troubles, all the junk food we eat on social media. His mind is so fixed on God during the day that he can't help but think about God during the night. And he rises at midnight to praise God for sustaining him. He is counting on the promise that God's mercies are new every morning. The word rise is in the imperfect tense. His action is incomplete. He is continually rising at midnight. Not just once, but continually rising to praise and thank God. It's not a one-time occurrence. It's a habit. Every hour of the day, every minute of the day, every second of the day is an appropriate time to praise the Lord. Never be ashamed to praise and thank God wherever and whenever. About a month ago, I prayed for God to wake me up at 3.30 a.m. so I could specifically get up to worship him. I didn't need to set my alarm. I trusted that God would wake me up. And I woke up out of a deep sleep and knew without having to check my alarm, but I checked it just in case I was dreaming, (laughs) that it was indeed exactly 3.30 a.m. And I did not want to get up. I was like, Lord, I'm tired. I have so much to do tomorrow. Please let me go back to sleep. And I tried to go back to sleep. And I couldn't fall back asleep. I laid there tossing and turning, feeling guilty that I didn't keep my promise. Last Monday night, without asking God to wake me up, I woke up with eyes wide open at 3.30 a.m., And you know what I did without hesitation? I dropped on the floor to thank and worship God. God wants to spend time with you and is waiting for you to rise, for you to draw near to Him. When you draw near to God, no matter what time of day it is, He will draw near to you. The psalmist rises at midnight because of God's righteous rules. He trusts that God will bring about justice. He knows that God is trustworthy, that God is good, that God will deliver him from his enemies. And not only will God deliver him, but God delivers all who fear him. God's steadfast love is available to all who fear him. Verse 63, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. He is a companion, a friend of all who fear God. 
And up until now, his focus has been on his relationship between God and himself. And now he introduces us to others whose portion is the Lord. Those who keep the precepts of God are his companions. He loves and follows God and wants to be associated with others who love and follow God. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. Those who fear God revere him. They are in awe of him. They stand in awe of him. King Solomon said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This man of God wants to be near others who worship and revere the Most High God. So let's pause again and ask ourselves, do the people we hang out with fear God? Are we more inclined to hang out with people who are just hearers of God's word? Or do we desire to be in the company of doers of God's word? In the book of James, we are reminded to be doers of the word and not hearers only. That was a plug for all who attend the James study happening on Sunday mornings at 9.15 in the Education Center. The psalmist knows how important it is to be in the community of fellow God-fearers. So I'm not saying if you can't find a companion who fears God as much as you do, you should hang out by yourself. I'm not saying that at all. Because King Solomon warns us in Proverbs that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you are not in a community group, I'd encourage you to join one. You can go over today's sermon discussion questions with other believers who love and fear God. And one of this morning's discussion questions is, why is it important to be companions with those who follow Jesus? The psalmist concludes this section with a proclamation and request. Verse 64, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. How is the earth full of God's steadfast love? Look around you. As you walk outside today, look up. The sun is shining. Shines more here and hotter than other places. But it is still shining. And I love the heat. Newborn babies are everywhere. Your children we have air to breathe, trees for shade, mountains to climb, campgrounds for fathers and sons to explore the wilderness. The fellowship, the community of the saints, our friendships, the food that God provides, the shelter over your heads, air conditioning, your spouse your extended family, the water you drink and swim in. And we could go on and on and on and on. The earth is full of God's steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. He says, whatever you command, O Lord, whatever your decree is, whatever your instructions are, I can't get enough. Teach it to me. 
I want to learn more. Teach me. All I need is your word. You are my portion. So you may be feeling this morning how you want to be as steadfast in your devotion as this psalmist. But you are feeling too beaten down by this world. You are weary and tired. Let me encourage you to run to King Jesus, to call on the name of Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who put their trust in Jesus, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence, like the psalmist. Entreat the face of God. Be gracious to me, O God. Say it. Say, be gracious to me. And for those who have yet to put their trust in Jesus, do not hesitate. Do not linger any longer. Call on Jesus right now. The earth oh, is full of God's steadfast love. The love that was poured out for you on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life, so sinners like you and me could call him friend. Jesus is a friend to all those who fear God, to all who think about their unrighteous ways, to all who repent of their sin and repent of their rebellion against God and do not hesitate to turn their feet to God's ways. He died for you and me. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And he is coming soon to judge the living and the dead. Do not delay. Come to Jesus today. Say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my salvation. Let me end right here. Almost every single one of us is carrying a copy of God's word, either digitally or a hard copy. We have God's words in more ways than we could ever imagine. And we have phones in our pockets. God's word is right in our pockets. It's in our hands all day long. If you don't have a Bible on your phone yet, download the Version Bible app, whatever Bible app. There's thousands of them. You'll be walking around with the word of God in your pocket, in your hand all day. If you don't have a copy of God's word or phone, please come and see me and I'll give you a copy of God's Word. I'll give you a Bible. Let's cherish the Word of God like those who traveled across oceans who kept God's Word and trusted in God for all their needs. God's steadfast love is sufficient for all our needs. Please pray with me.